Chapter 1. Now that I'm home on our family farm outside Washington, D.C. in this 2020 dystopia summer of coronavirus, my online school is completed and I'm no longer living in a hotel and calling people who just died last night, I finally have the time to sit down and think about how I feel about myself. I'm, vi- I'm usually very introspective as is, which you would probably guess purely from my years of experience dabbling in hot yoga. Naturally, this introspection has now spiraled me down this rabbit hole that I was raised in the equivalent of a secret military training program. My daddy issues are related to repressed memories of potentially child trafficking, and the breakdown of my family began when it became clear I was not redeemable or able to be used in the way I was intended, as an ornament to be auctioned off one day, as most women who marry are. I also quite possibly just need to unfollow the Reddit conspiracy theories thread because I fully acknowledge how insane this will sound. I would also like to reiterate it will inevitably be a sick, twisted level of satirical comedy and will not be everyone's cup of tea. If anything, it'll be like a train wreck you can't possibly tear your eyes or ears away from. With quarantine, the investigation into Epstein, and smoking a fair amount of weed, sorry mom, The paranoia that I may have repressed memories over my own father revealed the following. Clue number one, my family net of interwoven secrecy. My entire life, I had access to things most people associate with higher society. A naive little farm girl tucked away from the realities of the world. A family commune with a colonel for a grandpa who served in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Because of his military background, his years spent at West Point both as a student and a professor, the horrors of reality he saw overseas, we had the security of growing up in the same house my entire life, just outside of the hub of global affairs, just outside of where the actual decisions were being made in D.C., just outside of the buildings where people's lives were reduced to the very statistics I now study and manipulate and have to be tasked with prioritizing at my own interest or what I choose to care about on that given day, just outside of where the monuments, structures, and memorials were enacted, of where history was being made, commemorated, and shared, of where both my maternal grandfather and biological father worked for the Pentagon in a variation of aerospace engineering, nuclear weaponry development, and military tactics for nearly every single major military event in U.S. history, and worked as a unit with other government faces to contribute to influencing the fate of the world. Since I was a woman, though, they didn't think that I would be watching or aware of the insight freely available to me purely through some alignment of genetic cells. My grandfather's words were some variation of refusing to share anything with me because I was a feeble-minded woman who shouldn't have the right to vote. Heavily juxtaposed by my biological father, who encouraged me to be an equal to my other older brother or any man. Nevertheless, I was certainly happy. I was supplied with as many ponies as I wanted. I got to join the Girl Scouts and then became a Brownie Pony Club after I came across the Saddle Club series in our local public library, private school, dressed up and paraded out every Thanksgiving as a turkey and every Christmas as an angel. Never mind you how much I absolutely hated mass congregations and forced theater. A Welsh pony, chestnut brown, just like the one in my latest book, 
followed by an Icelandic import from Canada showing up in the middle of the night, his bay coat illuminated by the moonlight like wet pavement. Hundreds of presents on holidays. It was never given, though. No, certainly not a gift. Everything was a reward, positive reinforcement for my hours in the gym, days that spent in the saddle, or diligence with my reading. So when my parents switched me to public school in second grade, to better accommodate my transition into the elite gymnastics circuit on an Olympic development track, I also began climbing the rankings in horse competitions. Moving from dressage to show jumping to eventing, adding in games and polo cross as easily as I added in another pony. I collected trophy after trophy in literally everything I tried. Once one discipline got boring, another one just quickly took its place. The events I read about in books well beyond my grade level, devouring page after page, were actually happening for me. And I didn't have to care about any of it. I was a soldier, after all. My grandfather saw to that. Respecting his authority was instilled deep within my being. The system worked, it was rigid, and it was right. As long as I showed up, I got to play whatever I wanted. And I loved to win. I had trainer after trailer, trainer freely available. A trampoline? Maybe I should pick up soccer? No, not on a girl's team. It has to be a boy's team. They're more fun to play with. My identity became whatever was in front of me. And because I knew the value of hard work, knew that talent was just a clever way of disguising hobbies as things you just decide you might like one day, and then try again and again until you're eventually relatively decent at it, I didn't need to question who I was. I collected title after title, the true value in the trophies being confined to the text engraved on the plate. And as many achievements as I had on every soccer field, track, football complex, or horse ring in the state, I matched them, if not more, in school. My intelligence and calm demeanor floored teacher after teacher, a stark contrast to my older brother's incessant energy. While I may not have acted out in class, I still spoke passionately. I engaged. I made myself heard in the situations I was allowed to at every opportunity. Yet, I still only did it when I was permitted to. My physical prowess and ability and adaptability are almost surreal. And they always have been. Academic and athletic excellence, all wrapped up in the muscular, blonde-haired, blue-green-eyed frame. It was scarily reminiscent of Angelina Jolie's character's upbringing in the Soviet (laughs) Union, Russia, in the movie Salt. My resume was phenomenal, such that when I met someone who so obviously embellished theirs in grad school, I was genuinely disgusted that anyone would lie on their resume. Remember, naivety is going to be a recurrent theme through this blog. So where does Ghislaine Maxwell and our political or military background fall into this? Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, new sensation, probably, definitely, secretly dead in a cell, inevitably smuggled out, replaced by a body double from the coronavirus epidemic. Some poor family of a white brunette lady of slender build will be just another misplaced funeral mix-up, eh? In a staged suicide, Carrie Washington will revisit her role as Olivia Pope on the magic that is everything Shonda Rhimes' scandal um, to handle it. The Cruella DeVille of child sex trafficking. You know the one.
Well, I think it's pretty safe to say, though also at the risk of coming up sounding like a big conspiracy theorist, that apart from Jocelyn Maxwell and other members of high society, most of the people actually controlling things on a global scale prior to the big boom of tech with the emergence of the new millennium were the military leaders, and solely the military leaders. Prior to the convenience of having every household equipped for communication, the military and political figures were a string of name recognition picked largely by familial familial lineage or military prowess. If you were lucky, you revolutionized an industry and got involved with your cunning traditional academic intelligence or just sheer luck. Either way, technology has made knowledge of the realities of the various currencies the world's power is concentrated around that much more obvious to the average citizen. Money, military force, humans, women, children, bioterrorist agents, intelligence, the actual identity doesn't matter. What ultimately matters is who the people are that can move the lives, identities, souls of societies around their risk boards at their discretion. And understanding that those people are generally not in those positions of power because it's an easy position to hold, or because they're morally righteous. With that in mind, I think it's pretty reasonable to assume that nearly every single person who historically has or continues to exploit an underserving system has a million skeletons in the closet and a million pieces of information capable of being thrown around indiscernibly until the odds turn in their favor. From that draws the reasoning that my grandfather, a distinguished military leader of our country, one who preferred to remain in the shadows, secluded from the world, yet always readily accessible when needed, may have been involved at some point in his incredibly successful career at using nefarious tactics to achieve a means to his end. I mean, I probably inherited my ability to manipulate men from somebody. All I'm saying, it's only the logic, it's only logic that the same people pulling the strings behind the scenes, the ones actually responsible for containing the horrors of the world, were the military strategics. And to contain them means understanding them, studying them, being aware of them and their intricacies. Furthermore, our government, particularly our Defense Department, has a history of ethical concerns with their developmental training programs. My grandfather was a lot of things, and as much as I respect with a healthy whim of absolute horror towards him for the life he created, I really don't think it would be that implausible to think he may have tried to create a lineage that could be inserted into every position necessary to obtain intelligence with his own family, and I was ultimately intended to be either married off or sold to the highest bidder in his circle. From that, the obvious trail of deductive reasoning yields I was likely meant to be an eventual target of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell's extensive pedophilic ring, which, for the record, is horrific but is not that uncommon. Humans just prefer to pretend like we aren't just another animalistic species. Instead of clawing out their jugulars, we use those big brains and opposable thumbs to systematically torture our prey into submission, to eviscerate their humanity into non-existence and proceed 
to position their body as we please, convincing ourselves that they must enjoy it to some extent just because of their biological physical reactions. We peel back the layers of emotions one by one until none exist, but delude ourselves that they have free choices. A good life. They're lucky. And given that my grandfather, and likely my father to a lesser extent, ran in and rather led our country through some of the most horrific infractions against human life seemingly possible, I have to argue who amongst them wasn't involved in some extensively heinous activity. Or how do you not engage in especially heinous activity when you learn to live that wildly, that savagely, and that destructively? And what then was my grandfather guilty of? What was he guilty of that kept him desperately clinging to mortality from his bed in the veteran's home, hallucinating his memories for days while we held his hand? What was he actually doing when he was carted off to some random geolocation on the planet for weeks or months on end? To be clear, he was a great, absolutely phenomenal man, and I do in fact feel like a dick even questioning my history. Not enough of a dick to not actually write or speak it, but the guilty premise is still there. Thanks to my Catholic ex-boyfriend, I was taught to just ignore that notion and pray for forgiveness later, because it'll be okay. Which means reflecting back on the manner in which I was raised. The trajectory of my life, the buildup of everything magically working out, despite no shortage of near-death experiences or existential crises, the question naturally develops into whether my own lineage, hidden in the shadows of public knowledge, should be under question. The easily controlled or bought narrative of limited press, of word of mouth, the altered or confidential military records, it isn't limited to the USA. Sure, Trump is shitty and likely guilty, but so are literally every single one of those people in any of those circles of high society. But by design, that could also include my own family. So far, we've connected that military and public figures, the wealthy, basically run the world because they have some form of power, currency, to design their own worlds. Just a few generations ago, this was decided by genealogy and luck. Decided decades in advance by powerful men in a powerful room under the impression they all possessed a premonition on progress in a society worthy of value. Then came the somewhat unpredictability of technology. And with technology came a whirlpool of achievements public accelerations in travel, methods of communication, massive and intercultural spread of knowledge occurring from the safety of one's own home. Suddenly, a new trajectory broke off. The interwoven nature of the world's rich, exacerbated and torpedoed by the USA celebrity culture, upsetting the traditional militaristic leadership of succession in our government, and no longer unnecessary to acknowledge with the culmination of the 2016 presidential election. Any system exploitable can also be weaponized in the same sense. With technology, the same rich people who ruled the world and had been raised on the expectations that it would one day be handed back to them began to be exposable, a threat only increased and immediately, to their dismay, 
by arming every citizen with their own way to record evidence. So what, ultimately, threatened to topple the careful succession of global progression the most? What should be exploited by those in power or desperate to achieve power? Intelligence.